the most exciting and the scariest prayer I've ever prayed was, God, I will go, do, I will go anywhere or do anything for the name of Christ. So why would two guys leave comfortable jobs, move across the country, and start a business in an industry they don't know, a place they don't know, and could it be successful? We're Dale and Brian Carmi. Join us as we share our story and inspire you to become people of impact. Welcome to the Impact Without Limits podcast. Welcome back to the Impact Without Limits podcast. Uh, Brian and Dale Carmi here. And the last week of every month, we like to do a special episode. And we've done question and answers. We've done interviews. And uh, we have a special guest with us. We do. So today, we have Brock Kreitzberg. And Brock uh, met him a year ago when he bought the house we had up for sale. And uh, have developed a good relationship since then. And Brock, we're going to ask you a little bit about your, your background, but um, I'll start. I'll help you out in case you don't remember it. Brock is an, uh, an Olympic bobsledder. Uh, Brock played uh, collegiate football at the Division One level. And he also worked with Samaritan's Purse and is involved currently with another uh, mission-minded organization, Summit Missions. And um, so I guess you don't have to say anything now that I said all that. <laughs> Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for the intro. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I grew up here in um, right outside of Akron, and uh, um, you know played played football at uh, went to school and played football at uh, Walsh, and then uh, played football at Toledo. What position? Wide receiver. All right. Yeah. You guys play football. We yeah, did. Dale was a wide receiver too. Mm. Wide receiver and defensive back. I probably to... probably mm. covered you a couple times, except mm. we never played the same era or the same teams. But other than that, other than that, it's possible. See, I only played. I wasn't athletic enough to play both ways. I played receiver. Couldn't. I was terrible at defense. Yeah, you had to be really athletic or go to a small school. Those are the two options. That, and I that's chose the small true. School that's option. true. You know, I went going to Walsh. There was like a hundred kids out for the football team, high school football team. So there was wasn't a lack of body, bodies to to play. Yeah. Uh, well, any young kid I grew up with, the opportunity to play sports at a higher level, you that, that was always a dream or a goal, and you worked toward that, and you had that opportunity in college. Um, was was that like a, a goal and an ambition for you, or was it just something that? An opportunity that presented itself. No, it was my goal. You know, I I played football, um, dreaming of one day being Jerry Rice. You know, that was that's who I was in my in my backyard playing. And so to have the opportunity to play uh, Division One football was really a um, it was a dream of mine. And of course, then you know, I when I was younger, I said, you know, if I'm starting at a Division One school, I'll certainly play in the NFL. Of course. Right. That's, that's my, that was my dream, but yeah, playing at, at Toledo was a, was a, just a great experience uh, for me. And you did have a shot at the NFL, right? I did. So I was after college. Uh, so I ran, uh, played football and ran, ran track in college. And after my um, career w- was over, I had an opportunity. I was in minicamp with Tampa Bay Buccaneers and um, who was the quarterback at the time? Trent Dilfer. So you mm. caught some passes from Trent? I did. That's neat. Yeah. And um, work done. Yeah. Um, Warren Sapp. Yeah. It was like late 90s. 
I think that year they went to the NFC championship. Yep. Yeah. But uh, they didn't sign me, right? So they didn't sign me. So, you know, I became a, a believer in college. And by the time I was done with college, I said, I'm either going to be playing in the NFL or going to seminary. Two wow. opposite ends of the spectrum. And so I didn't um, sign with the NFL team. So I went to seminary and received my master's of divinity when I was there. So you were still a receiver. You received your master's of divinity. Wow, Look at I that. see what you did there. I like it. I, <laughs> I like that. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. That was good. So tell us just rice, briefly about the, the Olympics. What happened there? I went, you know, so... After when I was in in seminary, you, as an athlete, you have a it's in your blood to compete. And you, I wanted to compete again, so I lo- was looking to get back into football, and so I started training with a high speed treadmill system. And when I was training with them, the U.S. Bobsled team was training with the same type of facility in Salt Lake City. So they did a recruiting process where they brought athletes in and cut athletes, and out of that came three of us. And so that began. You know, I competed on the U.S. bobsled team from 2003 till 2010. Made the uh, of the Olympics in in 2006. So one of the, I mean the, the title of our our podcast is Impact Without Limits. And and as you're going through this, you're you're kind of got two very differing things. It seems like seminary, which is pulling you into service and serving others, yeah. and then an opportunity for the Olympics, which. Did you see that as an avenue for impact or did you just see that as a goal you wanted to chase? How did those two tensions or how did that tension work out? Well, at that time, no, it was a goal that I I wanted to achieve, right? To, to compete at a very high level in athletics, but a little bit further down the road. um, And we can talk about this uh, now or a little bit later came to a point where I said, you know, as an athlete, this was after my, uh, my bobsledding career was over I came to a point. I, so after bobsledding, uh, I was injured. Um, I made the Olympics in 2006. Um, and then in 2010, I had uh, two hip surgeries, wound up missing the Olympic Games. And after, after I, I didn't, didn't make the Olympic team, I said, what am I going to do? And so a friend of mine was a NASCAR driver and a stuntman. He said, come to LA and I'll get you some work as you figure out what you're going to do. So I went to, I went to Los Angeles um, being a stuntman was a hard, it's a hard industry to break into and, and working was not consistent. So I think during that time, year and a half, I worked literally 15 different odd jobs. But in any case, there was, uh, there was a moment I was on the mentalist. If y'all remember the mental, the show, the mentalist, yeah. and, I, and I'm kind of on top of the hill, I'm watching everything play out. And I'm, and I'm thinking I'm doing the very same thing I did as an athlete. As an athlete, I was investing in my body. Everything that I did, I wanted to be an elite athlete. But now, as a stuntman, and they make pretty good, pretty good money. Now I'm investing in my bank account. And is that the legacy that I want to leave? And so I said, I wanted to spend the rest of my life investing in someone else or something else. And that really began a the most exciting and the scariest prayer I've ever prayed was, God, I will go do, I will go anywhere or do anything for the name of Christ. That's a wide open prayer. Oh, I was single. You- Granted, I was single. <laughs> I, no, no, I was not married, no kids. But uh, still, you know, it's like, God, whatever you want. So in that moment, do you realize that you have this awakening like, hey, this isn't where I'm supposed to be? Or do you continue in the path of being a stuntman and the career in L.A.? but just leave yourself open to where you're being directed. So I continued down that same path, but um, about 12 years ago, there was a tsunami and earthquake after um, in Japan. 
And I felt the Lord, few times have I really felt the Lord nudge me and push me. And I felt the Lord nudging me to go to Japan. I had no connection to Japan. Didn't know anyone, had never been there, but he was nudging me and nudging me. And, um, you know, I, I sought wise counsel. I prayed about it. I gave it time. But that nudge, that urge was still there. And so I had a friend of a friend I was introduced to that lived in Japan. And I sold everything that didn't fit in a four by four storage container. I, I rented one in. Still not married at this time. Still not married. <laughs> uh, so I sold my car and I rented a storage container in, in, in LA and I left. I bought a ticket to Japan and I, and I went. And, you know, within. Like two days, I was connected with Samaritan's Purse, and within two weeks, I was offered a job. Uh, partly because, you know, it's just I was there already, and the hiring process pretty lengthy at Samaritan's Purse, so I was just like an able body. So I want to take a step back. You yeah. actually went to Japan before you connected with Samaritan's Purse. Yeah, I, I knew. Did you know of them? Were you hoping that there would be a connection there? Or did you no. just go to Japan just like... Yeah, I knew. So I had a... Someone donated a... Um, a waterproof bag. So I had a waterproof bag. I had some clothes and a sleeping bag. And I didn't have a plan. And obviously you spoke Japanese. Uh, I, uh, no, I learned, I learned uh, as I was, I was studying it so I could recognize the characters, but I did not speak Japanese. The, the friend of a friend spoke Japanese and he was volunteering with Samaritan's Purse at that time, but I didn't have a plan. I just knew the Lord was oh, calling me. And so I was like, okay, God, I said I'd go anywhere, do anything, so I'm I'm going. That's pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's, so uh, I you you talked about um, three things you did. Um, you, you sought wise counsel. You prayed about it and, and um, gave it some time. I think yes. were the three you said. Mm. And and often you know there's I, I think there there's this um, you you feel a tension or you feel a pull. And I think there are two things. One, sometimes people resist it and push back. And two, sometimes people dive into it maybe and make emotional decisions. Yeah. Can you talk through those three things and, and how that impacted your uh, decision process? Sure. As I, you know, I felt a little bit uncomfortable with, with going, right? Because it was something new. I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with the situation. And so um, I began to pray about it and saying, God, is this, is this where you're leading me to go? And then I, I talked to people who knew me, who knew um, my skills, kind of my, um, my personality and said, should, does this fit me I mean, going there? And uh, most people actually didn't really know much about Japan or what was happening there. Um, but then I saw it white and then and then I just waited. A friend of mine had advised me just give it a month, give it a month and see, you know, maybe eliminate that emotional response. And if it's still there, then you need to go. And the fourth step, which I didn't talk about, was the hardest was taking, you know, taking a step of faith, taking a leap of faith, right? And not knowing where I was going to sleep, what I was going to eat. I had enough money to. Um, eat at 7-Elevens are really big. So I raised enough money or people donate enough money for me to eat for like three months at 7-Eleven. And actually <laughs> food at 7-Eleven there is, is pretty, pretty good. good. It is, it is. Um, so just taking that step of faith was probably the hardest part of that process. So you spent some time there in Japan. You hired on with Samaritan's Purse. 
Yes. And then you come back to the United States and you're, you continue working with Samaritan's Purse? Well, so from Japan, again, the first time I hear that, I feel that nudge, <clears throat> Japan. Then I hear that, that same type of nudge to go to South Sudan. Now, if, any, if you don't know about South Sudan, South Sudan is a developing country in East Africa. It's not someplace you necessarily want to go for vacation, let's say, for example. But I felt the Lord was leading me, pushing me there because I had seen the work that Samaritan's Purse had done in, in South Sudan and I wanted to go and I wanted to run a food program. I've never run a food program. I've only eaten food. I've never, <laughs> I've never ran a, and that's, so I was hired. I don't know how, why they, they hired me to, to run this program. It was feeding 60,000 refugees a month at a refugee camp on the border of Sudan and South Sudan. And uh, I had good people who were there training me. I lived in a pop-up tent in the middle of uh, the bush. Um, I had a pit latrine and a gravity shower and that's it. Our, our fence was basically like corn stalks woven together. And we lived in the middle of, of the refugee camp. So I, w- I ran that program. Then I was a country director. So I oversaw the program in South Sudan. During that time, I met my, wa- my wife. That's when I got married. Okay. She, she was working with Samaritan's Purse in Liberia in West Africa. So in that time, we met, we got married, uh, went back to South Sudan, and then she became pregnant with our first son, Akai. And then we moved to Uganda. And we were in Uganda for two years, again, running that same type of, uh, running the, the, the office there. We were there for two years and then felt the Lord was, was calling us back to, to the state. So moved back to uh, North Carolina, where Samaritan's Purse headquarters is. And then I ran their International Disaster Response Unit. So anything that Samaritan's Purse responded to outside of the U.S., I, was, uh, I ran, I was responsible for. So that's my Samaritan's Purse history. Makes a trip to Albuquerque not, not seem like that big of a deal. <laughs> I would agree with that. Uh, amazing, amazing story. So through that, it, it, at some point, I mean, it sounds like you had a great time at Samaritan's Purse, but you leave. W- what's that separation or what's that reason? So Samaritan's Purse is a wonderful organization and um, I enjoyed my time there, but I felt like I could use my experience and my education to impact a smaller faith-based organization. And so I, and then I, I began to pray I, for uh, the next year and a half. I was looking and praying for opportunities and uh, the opportunity at Summit Missions International uh, came on my, my radar and you know I was um, went through the applied for it. And went through the the interview process where I was hired, and and some emissions we work primarily in Eastern Europe, which right now is you know it's it's on the map, it's on everyone's radar because of what's happening. But we partner with churches and Christian leaders um, across Eastern Europe to provide practical help and spiritual hope for the purpose of sharing about God's love for them through through Jesus Christ. So that was a year ago, a little yeah. over a year and yeah, a half ago. Yeah, a little under a year and a half ago. Yeah. You've got impeccable timing. And so so you land there, and, yeah. and it kind of brings you the reason um, we're talking is all of a sudden there's crisis in, in Ukraine, Ukraine. yeah, And uh, it's almost like, you know, not almost. God led you there for a purpose. He put you in that position for a purpose. And that's why, you know, we wanted to um, have you in and record this and get this out on a podcast because it's very timely and, and there are real needs over there. So... Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of 
humanitarian needs uh, and, and efforts there and what uh, Summit Missions is doing and, and, you know, just ways people can, things people need to be aware of and things we can do to help. Sure. So the war began about six weeks ago. And I think about every week there was over a half a million people who had exited the uh, the country. To date, it's about 4.2 million people who have uh, left the country, which is an enormous number. But Ukraine has 44 million people. So there's about 40 mm-hmm. million people that are still in there. And I, I just read a stat. It was like 10 million have been displaced from their homes. And so you can imagine if you're leaving your home and all you're taking one hand, you're, you're holding your child's hand and the other, you're dragging your, uh, a carry on. And so we have partners. They said, I took three t-shirts and two pairs of jeans and that's it. And, uh, so tremendous need there with people being dis- displaced and, Trying to figure out, um, you know, where they're off to next. We see a lot of people who have left the country that are transiting, and so there we have partners in Moldova, and they are housing refugees in the community center and churches. But they're not staying there, not living there. They're staying there. They, they have a safe place to to stay temporarily, to sleep, to eat, and then they're looking at where am I going? Am I going to further into Europe? Most of it is women and children. Okay, I'm looking at going into to further into Europe, but my husband, my dad is still in Ukraine because men 18 to 60 can't leave. And so they have a decision to make, what are they going to do, right? And as they stay at the the, the refugee centers, it gives them an opportunity at least to, to think to think through that. So um, we're doing that. We're meeting uh, refugees at the border and passing out food water, visiting refugee centers, you know, we're, we're providing food, uh, food or supplementing food for 2000 refugees a week at refugee centers and up in, and so that's people who are coming out of Ukraine. And then we have an, uh, another partner right on the border of uh, Poland and Ukraine, and they are trucking supplies and food into, into Ukraine. So they, they'll truck it into Western, uh, into a central location, central warehouse in uh, Western U, uh, Ukraine. And then it's distributed to churches. You know, we've, we've funded like 58,000 meals into, into Ukraine uh, so far. And it's just like, they're going every day. They go out, buy the food locally, they'll politize it and then uh, put it on the truck and then they ship it in. So food, Food is the biggest, I mean, it, it certainly is the biggest need. Food, clothing, and, and shelter, right? When you have a large population that, that's displaced, even in the Western Ukraine, it stresses the, the infrastructure there. Hey, can you give us just a little bit of background? And I guess I'm asking from uh, my lack of, of knowledge here, but I mean, you talked about being in Japan and what that culture was like, and you talked about being in South Sudan, which is a developing country, like Ukraine being, you know, 40 million people and, and such a large, I mean, what was it like before? And, and, you know, these, uh, I'm going to guess these people aren't being displaced from tribes and villages. I mean, they're, they're displaced from homes and suburbs and yeah, everyday life. So it's, I would say it's, it's more developed in the cities, right? You city, you'd go, you'd see what you'd see here in the city. As you get out into uh, the villages, it's a little bit more called rustic, um, where the homes aren't as nice, facilities aren't there aren't as access to facilities as there are in in Ukraine. And so you have people right that are displaced that are coming from living in a house or an apartment 
or you have someone living in the village that has to move. All they know is that small little village and that community. They're being moved out into a completely foreign you know, location. Someone in the city, maybe they have traveled around a little bit to different parts of, of Ukraine, but someone who's this has remained in a village or nearby. That's you know can be shocking. Uh, certainly, it would be shocking, and just and then not only be displaced, but seeing what's happening to your country, right? The bombing and the atrocities that uh, that have happened. I mean, it's you know the rebuild in the country, both physically but emotionally for people. It's going to take um, a long, a long time. So we've talked, Brock, and you know, my mind, the old days of we're helping out, we gather all this food supplies, things we put it in a container, we ship it over. But right now that's not the way this works, right? Because of a lot of the challenges with shipping and, and transporting things. Yeah. So we were shipping one to two containers a month over there uh, before this. And now, uh, the port that we're shipping it into is being bombed, right? It's controlled that, that water, the water's controlled by Russia. And so shipping stuff over takes a lot, a lot longer before maybe six, eight weeks. Now it's taking even longer. And if you think about what the needs are today on is April 7th, I think Mm -hmm. what the needs are going to be in June, right? They're, they're going to look different than what they are today. So if we, pack everything up and ship it over and say, okay, here's the needs. Well, they may, it may be very different. There may be a need for food. There may not be a need for food. There may be a need for clothing. Maybe they're, they have so much clothing. Now it just sits, uh, sits in the container, in a container. But even if you did that, you have to have a whole process to receive it, then to receive it and then store it and then distribute it. Right. So it's just not, I'm going to pack it up and then just hope for the best as it gets over there. It needs to have a really good process to, uh, to distribute it. So then what, what's the right answer? You're, you're, you're working with mm-hmm. churches and um, people that are boots on the ground. Yep. there, locals. Um, and I think funding them, right? Yeah. So we are, our objective is to uh, two things. One to pray for them, right? You can invest uh, supplies and money into this response and, and it's going to, it's going to help, but it's not going to end it, right? Praying for peace, you know, praying for uh, leadership, that they make good decisions and they put their agendas aside, start thinking about, you know, the people who are being affected. So praying for them, but, and then uh, giving financially, right? Giving towards a project that we're doing and a hundred percent of the, uh, what we're receiving, we're passing to our partners. We want to get them the resources that they need so they, they can respond appropriately, and that's food, housing, and 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 supplies are what we're we're doing with our partners. So, how how can people learn more about uh, Summit Missions um, website, social media? What, what's the best way to connect yeah, or to uh, learn? Two ways: uh, social media, of course. Um, our Facebook page. We post a lot of uh, impact stories, videos of what's happening. In, in Ukraine. You can also visit our website at www.summitmissions.org. And there you can, again, learn about what we're doing, but also there's a giving page. If you can, uh, you can give and even designate what do you want, want it to go towards housing a refugee. You can, um, you know, provide a, a pallet of food, whatever they want to give towards. Thank you. And we'll put those links in the show notes as well. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and again, we talk about how impacted. As you look back on your life, are there things that you did or went through that prepared you for this moment that maybe you didn't realize 
how it was shaping you at the time. But now in hindsight, you think it's a good thing I had that experience. It prepared me for where I'm at today. Certainly my experience with Samaritan's Purse, right? And in all the different programs I ran in disaster response, but it was when I was living in LA, I was living it. when I was living in LA, I was broke. I didn't have enough money to put gas in my car. I remember I had like peanut butter and some bread in my, literally in my, in my cabinet. But that was a stake in my walk with the Lord. He said, you know, I was injured because of my hip, so I couldn't, I couldn't really do much, but God had stripped everything that I valued. And he said, you know, you have nothing but me. What are you going to do? Are you still going to follow me? And that was a real turning point, and that contributed me saying, God, I will go anywhere doing anything for the name of Christ, because I held on to that. There were some really tough times in my different positions in Africa, in when I worked for a Samaritan's Purse, and when I even here, it's like, but God has called me, despite the difficulty in front of me, God has called me to a life of serving others. And so that's what I that's what I hold on to. And I again, I'd look back and saying, okay, God, I remember that point. That was 12 years ago. I remember that. And I'm still going to continue to push on to where you have, have called me today. Yeah, you, you said something there. We, we listened to uh, a talk at our, our office this week uh, from Andy Stanley. I talked about purpose and, and really the idea of purpose being the means to the end, not the end itself. And, and kind of what you said there is looking at it, not what's in this for me or how's this, but how can I be used to help and, and serve others. Absolutely. And that's what we're called to do as, as believers, you know, to, you know, and, and, and really ties in also with, with our mission at uh, Summit Missions is, you know, we want to, we want to help, right? We, we want to provide physical help, of course, but, you know, the gospel is what changes people, right? You can, you can give people money, you can give them food, but that doesn't create heart change. Heart change comes when someone comes to know Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to change their heart, change their perspective on life of uh, being self-serving to being serving, serving others. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. We're getting ready to wrap up. Any, any closing thoughts, any things you'd like to share or things we didn't ask you like, Hey, I wish we could have thrown this in. No, I think you guys have, uh, Covered it all. You guys did a good job. Well, I felt like a spectator. You, you were running the show. I really enjoyed it. If you were to give the audience one takeaway, they're sitting there and they're in a moment right now where maybe they don't feel like they're on purpose. Maybe they don't feel like they're making an impact. What, what encouragement would you give them today? What do they do? Do they just continue the grind? Is there, what's your advice for somebody who's feeling unfulfilled? One, I would say lean into the uncomfortable. Uh, but even even maybe a st- step back would be begin to pray, begin to pray like a sincere pray of an openness to where God is calling them. The best place to be is where God is calling you, right? And so rather than praying my own agenda, pray, God, I pray that your will will be done. Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And then when you feel the Holy Spirit just press on you a little bit, you know, you may be able to brush it off for a minute, but if it continues to come back, I would pray about it. I'd seek wise counsel. I'd wait. And then I'd take a step of faith. That's I think it. that's a great close. Well, I just, I think what I took away from what you're saying right there is so many times we pray to try and conform God's will to fit our desires in our life. And we need to be praying to conform our will yeah. to one that, Lines with God's will. 
when yes. that happens, then we're where we're supposed to be. Absolutely. So uh, great episode. I love, love having you and Brock. I'm you know, so glad we got to meet and develop this relationship. And I'm sure it's going to continue for years to come. Um, but to the, the people listening out there, we're glad you came. We're glad you're part of this. And, you know, we'd ask you check out the show notes. If you can, if you, if you find it in your uh, mind to do so, share it, tell people about it, tell people about this episode, tell people about what's going on and how they can get involved and help us be people of impact. Yeah. And if, if maybe you're, you're feeling right now that God's leaning on you or you're, you're feeling a nudge to, to, look into Summit Missions and how you can support them and how you can have an impact on people um, around the world that uh, are in a desperate situation and and maybe you know something you can do today just by supporting an organization that's already there can make an impact. Thank you. All right, guys. Till next week. This is the Fred Carmi reminding you that faith looks up, hope looks ahead, and love looks all around to see whom it can help. Good day.